Hello again and good morning, afternoon or evening from wherever you are listening to this in the world. I'm Barry Fern, the host of the Leading Conversations podcast, brought to your ears in partnership with the Marketing Society Scotland and the Lane Agency. In this episode, I'm delighted to welcome my guests, Ian Greenhill from Studio Something and Paul Mason from Go Forth. Today, we talk a little about their respective paths to getting into the industry, their career journeys so far, and some of the opportunities they foresee on the horizon as change continues to be the ever-present constant. Ian started out delivering bodies before he delivered creative ideas. Studio Something was born out of a blend of frustration and creativity in 2014, and now he and his team at Studio Something work on a varied mix of both content and clients. Their team are a creative studio on a mission to make something people genuinely like. Paul has over 20 years experience of working in some of the UK's top advertising agencies. He began his advertising career in Scotland before spending a successful 10 year spell in London at the Red Brick Road, Ogilvy and as creative director of Publicist London. He returned to Scotland in 2016 to found his previous agency Punk before selling his stake in the business at the end of 2020. He's currently co-founder and creative director of Edinburgh-based creative agency, Go Forth. Gentlemen, as someone who knows you both, but doesn't know you both well, I'm delighted to have you on the Leading Conversations podcast today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks very much, Benny. No worries. As ever, I'd like to start from the start. So let's rewind a little and go back to the beginning of your careers for the benefit of our listeners. From the nuggets I do know about you both, it's fair to say that, like me, you didn't have a conventional path to your first marketing or advertising gig. So take us back to where it all began. Paul, back in your teenage years at school, did you ever envisage a career as a creative and as a business owner? Never for a minute uh, did I consider this was where I would end up. At my school, you... you university wasn't wasn't really talked about much it was certainly something i i, I never considered so i i was always going to be a tradesman uh and i did you know i actually blame off we scene pick for glamorizing it back in the, the day i don't know jimmy nail being an inspiration yeah right? yeah it looked yeah. like they were having such a great time so i left school at 16 and, and went and served a, an apprenticeship and uh and it was a good apprenticeship i was a qualified electrician at, at 20 uh, and I thought I was always going to be an electrician. And I sort of, five years later, I was 25 and I was standing on a petrochemical site in, in Grangemouth and it was the middle of winter and I was surrounded by sort of freezing lumps of steel and had about 18 layers of clothing on. And I had a quick look around me and there was guys there that were 50 and they looked 80. <laughs> and I thought, I've got to get the fuck out of here. There we go, first, first swear <laughs> word of the day. I've got to get out of here. So... A couple of weeks after that, there was there was an offer of some voluntary redundancies on the site, and it was it wasn't a lot of money. It never was, but I took it and I went and I sat at home for a couple of weeks pondering my future, and I decided very quickly I was what I'd always been interested in was words. I'd always loved to read. I'd always loved to write. The two qualifications I did get at school were were English and Modern Studies. So you know, with my my. I never had any understanding of the creative industries. I decided I was going to become a journalist. So I jumped in my car and drove up to Edinburgh University and I was like, right, I'm going to be a journalist. When can I, when can I start? <laughs> and they were like, it's not quite as simple as that. You know, you, you, you've got to have some qualifications to get into university. So they sent me to do a, an access course. I was going to do two years at what was then Telford College. I was doing an HND in something called communication. Part of that was journalism. Another part of it was advertising. And as soon as I discovered advertising was a thing, I sort of realised that my whole life, or certainly my whole teenage years, I'd been, I'd been looking at advertising and I'd sort of been accidentally decoding their strategies. I knew what people were were trying to say or what they were, what they were sort of hiding behind their their entertainment and as soon as I came across it I knew that that was the career for me so I started putting a portfolio together, abandoned thoughts of going to university which was great because it was going to be a very expensive business and I just started hitting the streets of Edinburgh with my portfolio and knocking on doors at agencies and that's how it all began. What a great story. Ian, top that. 
I know. Why, why the tradesmen always wear Adidas Sambas out of interest? <laughs> I don't know. Hard wearing? Uh, it's just they always wear Adidas Sambas. Yeah. Have you noticed that? They only wear them to sight. They've got to put on their safety oh, right. boots when See? they get on site. That's where the money is, though, yeah, making Adidas Sambas for tradesmen. Yeah. yeah, I suppose I had quite an unconventional path as well into the industry. Um, it was probably quite similar to Paul. I didn't really know that advertising was a job. Uh, it was a real job anyway. And yeah, kind of left school. Wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Uh, worked for Edinburgh Council, as you kind of mentioned in the intro. Um, I worked uh, essentially doing the job in, from life of grime. So cleared out really, really dirty flats, picked up dead bodies, uh, cut uh, yeah, lots of different horrible things off of a carpet. Well, when I was 17, <laughs> it paid a lot of money. Eh? So, so I saved up money, went went and lived in Madagascar for a wee bit and did uh, teaching there. I uh, came back and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I did, um, I did go to university. I studied history, um, but I dropped out. You know, after a couple of years, it just re- really wasn't for me. I'm not very good with structure. I'm not very good at uh, doing doing what I'm told, I guess. Um, so it, d- it didn't really work out for me. But during university, um, I, I started really loving to write. So I, I wrote a lot of blogs. I did a lot of uh, strange... Uh, there, there was a popular platform at the time called Tumblr. I had a very popular Tumblr at the time, which was all written word and stuff. No one knew it was me. It was all anonymous. So it was quite fun, quite a kick. So I really enjoyed doing all that kind of creative stuff. So when I was working, the guy that I worked with was like, there's this thing called uh, called advertising. Do you want to give it a, a go? He was pretty good at, um, you know, working a computer and kind of doing the, the art direction stuff. And I was like, well, I could, I could do the writing part. So we applied for what was called the hot desk at Leith Agency. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. They set us some tasks and apparently we were quite good at it because we got offered a placement. So so that that was that really. And we, we got a placement there after a few months. I got a bit, uh, again, uh, a bit pushy. I got a bit bored, didn't offer us a full-time job. So went to the union uh, for, for a couple of months. And then Jordan, who's my co-founder studio something, he needed a new partner. So I, I committed a, a yeah, creative partner, adultery, and left and went back to Leith Agency to work with Jordan. And that's that's really it. You know, I had no idea what advertising was. Um, I've kind of learned it on the way. And, and, and like Paul's saying, you do look back and go, actually, yeah, I was watching these things. I was watching these amazing adverts. And um, you did kind of start to like you say decode and go oh that's interesting that's that 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 really resonates with me why why does that resonate with me and you do enjoy that um kind of picking it picking it apart yes yeah it was it was odd actually it's just i would like to think things were a little bit different now you know people are looking out with the sort of traditional career choices and it's on their radar uh but at at the time it's it's really interesting listening to to you both of your stories, you know, I can already see parallels. You know, I was a 14, 15 year old, you know, as you do, sitting down with your careers advisor for the first time. And, and they said to me, well, what would you like to do? I said, oh, I don't know. You know, well, tell me what you like. Well, I like football. Okay, well, what are you good, good at? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was certainly any of my friends would tell you, I was, I was never very good, but uh, I still play uh, and enjoy it. But writing was, was something that I was quite good at. I was good at English. So I kind of, through the second conversation with the careers advisor, it was, oh, well, I want to be a football journalist. You know, I I collected um, newspaper scraps and, and made scrapbooks for Arsenal, of Arsenal games. And and actually even looking back and being aware of certain things, more, more from a journalistic perspective, you know, I would buy a red top and I would buy a quality. I wasn't necessarily aware that they were red tops and qualities at the time, yeah. but I would buy a, a tabloid and I would buy a, a kind of higher standard of, of journalism newspaper and I would compare the different writing styles and try and understand, well, you know, why would this paper kind of collate these statistics? So statistics and data was something that I was into. English was something that I was into. So I left school at 16 because I realised, you know, after further conversation with the, the careers advisor, well, seven years studying journalism at, you know, college and then university really wasn't going to be for me just to potentially maybe get a job on the local newspaper. So I needed a different path. I needed a different kind of job. I just wanted to earn money, really. Again, like uh, like Ian said, I don't think I was very good at having a boss or the idea of having a boss. But anyway, you need to go and get a job, earn money. Got a job in a, in a computer company. They were looking for a kind of troubleshooter, you know, a customer services junior to kind of help support their growing business. And I say a computer company, what they were really doing is, is box shifting. You know, they were building computers and they were they were selling computer periphery. And I became the troubleshooter in this small sort of fledgling business that was, that was growing in, in East London. 
And I solve problems. I solve problems because a, a customer wouldn't have a printer cable, you know, when they received their printer and I would go down to the warehouse and I would speak to the warehouse manager and I would stick one in a jiffy bag and send it out. I would look into stock issues if a customer had received, you know, two boxes and they should have received three and, and I would solve those problems for, for customers. So I, I really quite enjoyed the problem solving. But as that company suddenly grew and scaled through the mid 90s into the early 2000s, you know, the dot-com boom, the technology boom, if you like. All of a sudden, this this 20-person small business became a 350-person big business. And I grew within that company. My roles grew within that company. Every six months or 12 months, I would I would say to my boss, I'm, I'm bored. I'm, I need a change. I want to do something different. And I ended up working in operations, in marketing, in sales, in customer service, and all these different channels. So actually, without realizing it, over six or seven years, I started to understand how a business runs and, and you know, how people need to talk to each other and, and different types of customers from corporate clients to kind of, you know, one-man one band customers. So what I really found over that six or seven years until I got made redundant was, okay, I'm quite good at English. I quite like data. How do you sort of tie all these things together? Like, what's my next career going to be? And I didn't realise that straight away. I went bumming around the world for a couple of years and, you know, travelled a lot and met lots of different people and had lots of great experiences. But when I came back, that was time to make a decision and, you know, start to look at what do I really want to do and how do I join those skills together? And that's ultimately how I got involved in, in digital marketing and, and the agency landscape. So I guess what I'm coming to is this thing. And it, it, to me, it's a, a campaign that flew under the radar a little, but I became aware of it last year. There's a campaign called No Wrong Path. Um, and that was by uh, developing the young workforce. Um, and I absolutely agree with that sentiment. And when I started thinking about the concept of this podcast episode, that's what kind of drew me to try and get the three of us together to have some of those kind of conversations about our different experiences and maybe where they overlap a little bit. I think that's the interesting thing about um, the creative industries, you know, and, and that's what, you know, Paul and I are both creative. So when when I, I remember for the job at Leaf, um, when I was going to join Jordan as, as his partner, I remember going to meet Jerry Farrell, who was the creative director at the time there. And I had a CV already, and he looked at me. and I was like, "Why? What the fuck's this? Yeah, <laughs> a CV? Have, Why have you, you got have, a did CV?" You have a suit and, a tie <laughs> and it was like, and it was like, just come up with some ideas. Yeah. And, he, and he just sat down and went, "Look, Iron Brew Brief. Uh, we need some social media ideas. What are you going to come up with?" And that was literally the interview. And he was like, "I don't care where you went to university. No one cares." Like, and it, that, that it was something so refreshing for me that I was like, actually. If you're good, you're good. If you're not, you're not. You know, yeah. it's quite as simple as that. I think I read recently in in agencies, you know, for whatever shape or form that they take, I think there's still only 18% for working class backgrounds. So I think back in the day, certainly when I was breaking out, I'd imagine for yourself as well and, and you as well, Barry, cost was a big, uh, you know, being able to afford to break in it. I'd done nearly a year on placement and I was like 50 quid a week expenses. I was lucky enough, I was older and I had a, a driver's license. I had a mortgage to pay. So I drove a private hire taxi. All the time I was at, uh, I was I was back doing my HND and communication and when I was doing these placement schemes at agencies. But we've all spoke about just being desperate to get some money in our pocket. Do you know, we've no come from wealthy backgrounds and stuff. So I, I think the industry's getting better at removing that barrier. C certainly my previous agency, uh, Punk, and it'll be the house rule that go forth as well. Placement teams get paid, yeah. you know. You know, they're, they're, they're not going to be retiring on what they're getting paid, but well, they get paid a decent wage for, a you know, some somebody their age to keep We would have never been over. able to get into the industry if we weren't paid that. Uh, you know, the, so the hot desk was a paid like placement and it was like there was other ones that didn't pay and it was like, well, we're not applying for them. So, and, and I saw a couple of years ago, there's a few agencies again going like, oh, it's cool, come work for us for free. And you're like, oh, I don't know. That you you, you so had a counter campaign for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it was I called remember, paid, yeah. paid as much as a creative director internship and it was, you know, we were being, we were being a wee bit obtuse to prove a point, but it did prove a point and it, and I guess it was kind of going, look, why is this a thing still? It's not cool to work somewhere for free. Like, and I, I just find that stuff really annoying. And yeah, like, like Paul saying, like, that's awful that um, when you started out, that, that that stress, that stress to kind of, you know, just have enough money to eat, it, just have enough Yeah, money but, to but it, it's entirely the way it was, I think. And I, I still, I sympathise with some agencies and I sympathise with people trying to get into the agency because that, that, 
has now become a sort of industry prerequisite, you know, where everyone's kind of agreed on that. You're perhaps not giving as many people the the week or the two weeks experience that could, you know, they're not necessarily going to contribute anything to the agency. They'll probably drain a good bit of time out of whoever's looking after them, but it might pique their interest in the industry, you know, and they might go away and do a little bit of self-development or put portfolios together. So it's not as black and white as, as it seems, I think, because uh, I think there'll be less people getting placements because of that sort of protection or payments That's the big casualty of hybrid working as well, is that the, you're not able to come into an agency and soak up that kind of atmosphere because yeah. nobody's there or they're all on Zoom. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I mean, it, yeah. it's all ambient learning, learning by osmosis thing that, you know, you don't get by pure remote working. I mean, that was a barrier to me last year in 2021 when we were, you know, looking at, at building the team. I couldn't consider one of these kickstart schemes or something. I mean, I could have, but the volume of time that you would spend by completely training up somebody fresh, new into the industry, when you're a small team and you've got your pressures and you've got your balance sheet to consider, you know, coming out of, of the pandemic at the time or the first or second wave of the pandemic, I thought it was brilliant they started these kickstart schemes. However, to consider employing somebody completely new and fresh to the industry at 25 hours a week, completely working remotely, there's such a big barrier to that yeah, in terms very, of allowing that person very, to start very, in the very industry. It's very difficult to do them justice, isn't it? I, th I think it's still, I think the whole sort of scheme or the, you know, the, the mechanics for getting in the industry, it's fluid, isn't it? I don't think we're quite at the the perfect solution, certainly after the last two years, but uh, it's definitely improving. Ian, you touched on something there that I was going to ask anyway, but Paul, maybe there's, there's someone or some people for you. Who, who inspired you to get involved in the industry, either directly or indirectly? I must say Don Smith at the Union was a big champion of mine, probably the first guy that showed an interest and got me in on placement and you know, and I was quite smart at the time. People liked my backstory, the fact that I'd been an electrician. So I very much worked that to, <laughs> to my advantage. Why not? You know, Why that, not? that was my, my entry strategy. But, and, and you know, there was some truth in it. You know, I probably thought differently for a lot of the other people I was competing with because of my different life experience. But Don would be the first guy that got me in and was a great supporter. Simon Scott, obviously we've lost Simon recently, really had a massive, massive influence on my career. He gave, uh, I can remember sitting in a meeting with Simon in the union and, you know, I'd probably only been in sort of two or three months in the industry and there was some superstar creative up for London that was freelancing with him for a time and he was a high flyer. And in the middle of a, a sort of meeting, he, he looked right past me and looked at Simon and said in his sort of posh voice, Simon, I can't understand the word this boy's saying. <laughs> <laughs> and Simon was as, as quick as you like and, and straight away fired back at him. He says, it's, it's what he's saying that's important, not how he's saying it. He says, try listening to him, you might learn something. Brilliant. And I, and I just straight away felt 10 foot tall. And it was, and I carried that with me all through my career, particularly when I went to London and you were viewed as a like, you know, a bit of a sort of rough jock and stuff. And, and I, yeah, those words served me really well throughout my career. So great insight, great insight. Let's, um, let's jump ahead from those early days, you know, the formulative kind of stages of our career. Tell us more, Ian, about what you do at Studio Something and Paul about Go Forth. Not just the type of work and the clients, but the vision, the ethos, the culture. Um, the vision. Uh, well, there wasn't really one when we started. When we were at Leith, Jordan and I were, were, we were making music videos um, in our spare time. And, you know, decent, like, for major labels down in London and stuff. And we were really enjoying it. And we started actually making more money uh, doing the music videos than we did doing our day jobs. So we thought, actually, there's something here. So we kind of combined two things, advertising and, and I guess, you know, uh, quote-unquote content. Um, that's kind of what we started doing when we started Studio Something. And yeah, really, we were just kind of working it out for the first couple of years. Weren't really sure what we were good at. Weren't really sure what we liked. Um, we did a few different things. Did a big animated series for tenants. Did a, uh, I remember it well, like well Park. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. it's very funny. And then um, sent a tea cake to space, things like that. And I think over those few years, we realised what we liked, what we were good at. I really like kind of helping brands just be better and more likable it's quite I, I, I think it's quite interesting you know both of us looking at ads in our younger years and going 
oh, they're, they're really good ads. Do you think a young person kind of thinks that now in the ads that they see on TV? Perhaps not. So yeah. I quite enjoy going, look, you can do this better. You can be more likable. So probably more the creative direction side, whereas Jordan was much more into the filmmaking side. So quite naturally, the, we've focused on kind of two different things. So we do the creative agency side, um, which works for lots of different brands and then kind of uh, comes up with creative solutions for them and then we've got the entertainment arm which um, now makes TV shows and so Jordan kind of leads that side of the company as well so yeah so we kind of have lots of different things that we do now so we have a a creative agency um, and then now a TV <laughs> company which is quite an odd kind of mix and it's actually quite handy for tenders uh, Paul if, if you yeah. consider it because you're we're the only company in Scotland that does it so technically we're a category of one which is a little bit sneaky but it's yeah. good <laughs> yeah. nice little so, nugget yeah. there, there you go. Paul. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and Paul you know tell us about the, the vision and the ethos and the and the culture yeah. if you don't mind for yeah but, well I mean like, like you know we'd uh, I'd love to be sort of emulating some of the stuff those guys are doing. So, you know, looking out with our, our media area expertise, but go, go for just a, a year old at the minute. And, you know, you, you've got to eat while you dream, as they say. So our focus very much at the minute is on branding and advertising comms. The ethos, the, the sort of the vision, if you like, for, for go forth, it, it's the, the same one I had when we, we set up punk. I, I really having worked in massive agencies. I think there's a I think there's a client need or certainly a desire for smaller and it's a bit cliched, but more agile agencies. And this is great format that you can put a bit a little bit of meat on the bones as for that. Because when you just say we're more agile on your website, you look like a sort of cliche spouting idiot. But <laughs> you yeah. know we're copying. We're thinkers so as well as yeah, doers. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. I I think and I think this is what's driven a little bit of the sort of move towards in-house uh, mm -hmm. creative departments and stuff. I think clients want to work a little bit closer with the with you know the creatives i don't just mean the traditional creative department but the people that are coming up with the ideas the people that are producing the ideas obviously they want to save a bit of cost there but i think they want to let work a little bit closer with these people and that means being a bit more collaborative and that of course allows them to be a little bit more agile mm -hmm. so the, these are all the things that we're in, envisaging for for go forth these are the the needs that we can meet and i think typically that it generally means a sort of smaller team as well, do you know? And I think it's very outdated to think that every project, every project needs an account manager and a planner and stuff, or, or every meeting needs five or six people, at, or even every meeting needs to happen. So I think it's just been a bit, a bit slicker, a bit more fleet of foot, and actually being a bit more collaborative, inviting people into the process and, and cutting some of the fat and the wastage, essentially. I see a lot of that commonality in, in our business as well you know in, in the lane media team you know that agility is so important and again this isn't a promotion for you know us or indies versus global network type agencies but when I hear stories of bigger agencies going oh it's going to take six weeks to set up a self-serve digital campaign you just wonder what bureaucracy what is actually going on behind yeah, the scenes because it's clients crazy. Are, clients are paying for that, yeah. and it's unnecessarily sort of fat, and it generally dilutes the the output as well. I think you know, there's it's Chinese whispers, isn't it? You know, by the time a piece of information's went for the head honcho and the brand team down to the you know what whatever it is, you know, the sort of lower echelon of your own creative department, there's so so much lost in translation. Lost in translation, and and ultimately, you know probably put my media head on more here but margin layers as well because if it's taken seven people or nine people or 11 people whatever it might be to have to ultimately pass down a conversation that turns into the activation of a campaign who's paying for that yeah you know so agility i think is so important collaboration that you've touched on is is so important as well to us all as we as we continue to build our respective businesses the last couple of years has have, have undoubtedly thrown up some challenges um, what, what's changed for you both in the last couple of years since the pandemic? And could you give our listeners some more insight to some of those challenges that, that you face both personally and as a company? Yeah, I've, I mean, I've definitely got a lot fatter. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> <Aren't we all? laughs> um, but no, it's. Uh, I mean, it was quite a good thing initially because I think because we are, fair, you know, everyone in the company is fairly young 
ish. Um, I think people assumed that we we were quite good at kind of working in that remote kind of uh, agile space, which which we were. You know, we do sprints and all that kind of stuff with clients and things, which which worked quite quite well for us initially. I think the thing I've found the biggest the the hardest hurdle is keeping the team motivated. I love what we do. I love my job, but actually, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. And there's a lot been a lot of bad stuff in the last two years that actually you're going, oh look, the client doesn't doesn't like the colour of this ad and, and 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 can you please change it? And they're just thinking, Oh my god, like what is going yeah. on? And, uh, so there, it's been really hard to keep everyone quite motivated and, and, and kind of business as usual has been quite hard, I think, um from from that perspective. And there's loads of different ways we kind of counter that. Um, you know, it's now it's it's making sure we are getting together. We're checking on people. Um, we have lots of tools uh, that that make sure people's mental health is, is is as good as it can be and things like that. But that's been the biggest challenge for us. I think it's not. It's actually not been getting work. We've grown quite a lot in in the last two years. It's been much more about keeping keeping everyone all right. Has been the hardest thing to yeah. be honest. Um, I, think, I think that the human interaction, so face to face interaction, is so important on so many levels, isn't it? There's the keeping spirits up, and there's also uh, again, there's another massive time saving. Do you know that you can stick a some layouts on a on a table, you know, and you can mm-hmm. sort of walk past them for a day, and then something will drop into your head, or you can sit down with a designer or, and say, actually, let's move this here, but. The time you go through the process of organising a Zoom call or or whatever to get this, uh, the work between the work is what I kind of call that. Yeah, it's, it's like good you're, you're, you're discussing it yeah. with someone, maybe someone that's working on a different project, and you've got a problem, and you're, you know, obviously we've got different sides of the business now. You know, speaking to someone in entertainment about creative problem X, Y, and Z. I think that those things have been missed a lot. Um, and you're losing body language as well and sort of people's demeanour, you know, everyone puts their best face on, yeah. you know, if, if they're uh, chat, chatting on a, a Zoom call or, or what, whatever whatever they're using. But, you know, you can really pick up on these things. You can see literally when somebody's head's down yeah. and it, it's going to be a bit harder. They've, they've got to sort of, they've kind of got to open up to you a little bit for you to pick that up across. Uh, you just said something that, that resonated with me there, Ian. You said, you know, it doesn't matter. And I think that perspective is is so important. I think that certainly helped me in the last couple of years is is having that perspective of what we do. You know, most of the work we do certainly doesn't change lives. There was a time in my 20s living in London, uh, working for an agency and a particular client who won't be named um, were, were particularly challenging and demanding. I came home from work one day and I was... I was quite pent up. I was quite, you know, annoyed and frustrated about a certain situation that had happened. I came home and uh, my wife, well, my now wife, my girlfriend at the time was was sitting in the flat and I started venting. I started ranting about this thing that had happened and how I had to go and get on a train the next morning and go and solve this problem and blah, blah, blah. However, after, you know, venting for a few minutes, I realised she's sitting on the sofa and actually she looked quite teary. Yeah. And I said, you know, what, what's, what's the matter? You know, what's wrong? And she said... Well, you know that child I was looking after, he died. Yeah, yeah, I love my that perspective. And and that that to me, you know, in my mid twenties, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, changed my perspective because what I did, the problem with the client, whether we create the problem at the agency or whether it was the client's issue or whatever, it just didn't matter. Yeah, and I think there's there's something so important in that as I've kind of you know built my career and, and kind of grown up a little bit in terms of. Things happen, mistakes happen, issues happen. You've got to remind yourself of that on a regular basis. But it's so easy exactly. to forget in the sort of heat of the fire, isn't it? You and know, I think it's you're, you're passionate about what you do, so you obviously care. Like we, we've got a TV show called The View from the Terrace, and and their kind of motto for that and our kind of ethos is it means everything and it means nothing. It's about Scottish football. And I think it's quite similar with what we do, right? It's mm-hmm. like it does mean everything. You do really, really care about it. But also kind of means nothing, you know. Yeah. Like, like my my wife's also a paediatric nurse, and and I would come home and I just don't speak about work because mm. I'm kind of like, oh, the client doesn't like the pink character I came up with. <laughs> yeah. She'd be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And and it's like, oh no, like I, I wanted this line in, and they didn't they yeah. didn't like it. <laughs> I learned that over the years. Just, I, see, just don't I, talk about Andrea it. Andrea asked me, "How was your day?" And it, it's, I didn't say it was good or yeah. it was all right. 
or it was shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that's enough for her. She's yeah. learned not to ask. People liked probably when you first, you know, Don probably liked the, the cut of your jib when you first kind of rocked up because it's like, you've got to have that perspective. You know, I, I think it, I would find it very difficult to be in a partnership with someone who's also in the industry yeah. because you start to believe your own nonsense. And actually, you need to speak to real people. That's all you're trying to do. So that's it's why... It's the same with your, they your friendship like. circle yeah. as well. Do you know, the, you, you see that particularly, you know, you, you see it a lot in London where people have moved there from other places. That then becomes their, their friendship circle. And it helps sort of accentuate that bubble that people live in where... They're constantly talking to ad people, so they don't know what real people are enjoying yeah. or what they're they're likely to engage with. So it, it's definitely that's something. always the proudest moment, though, when your school pals like something you've done because yeah. they have no idea what I do really. Yeah. Like yeah. they're like, oh, I have no clue. I, I'm in the same boat, you know. They, some my best friends I grew up with, they're, you know, taxi drivers, builders, plumbers, or heating engineers, as uh, one of my friends likes to and call them. They much... also wear Adidas Sambas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does. Hey, bro. Is, this, um, is this podcast sponsored by Adidas hey, Sambas? Hey, I'm like, hey, I might have been paid a little bit of money by Adidas Sambas to mention them three or six times, you know. Let's bring some of the fun stuff back. Let's touch on uh, some of the highlights of your career so far. What are you most proud of? What, what campaigns are you most proud of over the years? For me, it's, um, I quite like doing the kind of behaviour change stuff that we've done. So I've done a lot of stuff in the mental health kind of sphere, I guess, so to speak. So like See Me did a lot of work for them. I did, I did a film called The Power of OK a few years ago, which I'm really proud of. And then recently we've done FC United to Prevent Suicide, which is a football team essentially to try and get yeah, young men Great to work. kind of um, talk about suicide. And, and that kind of work I'm really proud of because, again, that stuff my mum goes, oh, that's good, that. Rather yeah. than, you know, punting a tea cake to space, which is quite funny, eh? And it gets you gets you lots of likes and the clients that like it and stuff. But um, there, there was a phrase, um, going back to that See Me campaign yeah. that I record, and I actually use it now. This is part <laughs> of my vernacular. It's okay not to be okay. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure if that was something that, that you guys coined or if that, but it's definitely. I'm going to show my references and it's a, it's a lame reference, but it's actually a lyric from a Jesse J song. <laughs> Is it really? <laughs> that I picked up and used in the ad, yeah. Right. But it, is, it was the first it was the first time it was used in like marketing, I guess. Eh? But no, I've got to give all uh, credit to my girl Jessie J yeah, for that yeah. one. It's not all about the money then. <laughs> it's not all about the money. <laughs> uh, and Paul has some campaigns, some things yeah, you've been involved with yeah, that you're really proud of? Uh, certainly when I started off in Scotland, I, I can remember working on a domestic abuse campaign and a... Uh, it was over Christmas when obviously domestic abuse spikes and their calls to their helpline had sort of, you know, they'd increased by like 300% or something. So that, that stuff's always nice, but I don't know. Maybe, it's got to be, you did voodoo, didn't you? Yes, the tenants food. That is a great ad. Yeah, I like the old taxi driver Aye. thing. So so that, that was great. That was probably the first big glamorous job I ever done was tenants voodoo advert and like you were mentioning, people that were unaware mm. of what you do were suddenly aware that you'd done something. And so it's a great premise for an ad. I don't know if you. you I don't know because you, no, you would have been down be, south being at a the London. I haven't only been in. But it's essentially years, like the it's a, 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 a can, and this is so good. I can actually recite Paul's yeah. ad uh, for him. It's a, a can of tenants washes up on a on a like a Caribbean beach or yeah. something. It's made into a voodoo doll for a, a wife whose whose husband's been cheating on her. Um, and she's she's obviously putting stuff in it and in Scotland all the things that happen to the can happen to people of Scotland so you know uh, get stabbed in the side someone gets stabbed in the side it gets shaken and people get shaken and it's an absolutely brilliant ad and, and that's the, yeah. the, the thought behind that was a very simple this is about no overcomplicating things if you cut people in Scotland they'd bleed tenants <laughs> so you see there's a very simple leap to, to voodoo dolls and stuff that 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 was great one of the I think the personal high for me was I wrote the the line that became the brand platform for tenants sponsorship of the Scottish national team and it was wherever it takes us whatever it takes you know because as we know we're all perennial struggling mm -hmm. to qualify not anymore and, and, not anymore and at the time I, I was i was you know i was supporting scotland home and away and when about six months i was seeing it on salt tires at hamden and and i was seeing it and i seen it popping up Gary Anderson was playing in the darts final at Ali Pali and he walked out and he had one of the flags around his shoulders. So, 
just becoming part of the the culture and it, it's still a thing you still see it occasionally at, uh, yeah, yeah. at Hamden so it was a good ad that came off the back of that as well with uh, um, different venues and stuff yeah yeah. yeah I think my creative director sneaked in and uh, stole the glory on that one but <laughs> it's, it's interesting <laughs> it's interesting how you both brought up drinks examples Ian uh, I was part of the judging panel on the on the Star Awards last year when pints uh, won gold and absolutely love pints you know during the the last couple of years so I'd, I'd encourage you to give us a bit more insight into that and and Paul as well really impressed a few years ago by the surprisingly smooth campaign that I know you're involved in so it'd be good to just share a bit more insight about that for my for my own benefit as much as the listeners if you don't mind yeah, so, so that then this and gun stuff, yeah. I always forget so many words, forget which ones are which. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, no, but it was it, it was off to the keep back. Them in of, your toilet. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> door stops. Well, yeah. that was the thing at Newhaven. They had the yeah. bin, didn't they? Yeah. I didn't like that. No, I didn't like no. that. <laughs> Sorry, Johnny. If you're listening. Um, but um, yeah, basically at the start of lockdown, it was the fact that everyone wasn't able to have pints. We kind of came up with a strategy about let's get people to start to kind of remember pints and, and kind of wrote a bit of an ode to to them and we essentially used the boarded up windows of pubs as media space so we paid the pubs for that space and put posters up and stuff um, to kind of help get them through the pandemic and things so it was uh, a great idea and then quite quickly after a lot of other beer brands did it and you're like now they're going to think that uh, yeah it was now a million miles away from Guinness's welcome well, was, welcome it was back was that, it? Yeah, yeah yeah so it was in the same tenants did a very similar thing yeah. almost straight after it which was don't know, Guinness probably done it with 10 times the, the budget. I know. It was a great ad that as well. Yeah. It, it definitely resonated with, with me at the time from, from being a consumer in terms of, you know, me and my friends kind of missing. It was missing the choice, I think. You know, it wasn't that, you know, we're all dads now in our 40s and that sort of thing. And it wasn't necessarily that we go down the pub all the time. But, but it was the fact that the choice was taken yeah, away. Yeah. And of course, as soon as that choice was taken away, then you did miss and, pints. And it was the nuance of the writing. So it was it was Emma Lally, our deputy creative director, wrote uh, and she's she's a uh, uh, very sociable. She likes going out, you know, she she was in pubs all the time, you know, with her various groups of she, friends. Well, so you've got to choose your words carefully there. But, but it's, <laughs> it's, you know, she she loves going out and meeting people and being sociable. And I think that was a big thing for her not having that anymore. And you mm -hmm. can tell that in the writing, you know, it's really, really passionate, really nice piece that that she did for it. Um, and I think that's it. It's just honesty. Yeah. Best advertising is just finding a truth and being honest and that's kind it. of making it really, really relatable to people and Paul surprisingly smooth if you don't mind a bit of a backdrop to yeah. that yeah the first thing I should say is it was actually the campaign was called Stay Smooth but okay. but it, yeah it was a sort of sub campaign a surprisingly smooth if you like so we'd we'd sort of just started working on the brand and we'd inherited surprisingly smooth which is the brand was the brand line and still is and uh, the, the brief was they wanted to reconnect with our what was called their heartland audience. It was essentially the the people in Glasgow where, where White and Mackay are based. And and very quickly I thought you, you cannot tell the people of Glasgow that they're surprisingly smooth because as far as they're concerned, there's nothing smooth about it. You know, they, th <laughs> they think they're the smoothest people that have ever graced the face of the earth. So it became, so we, we changed it to Stay Smooth. Stay Smooth Glasgow and it was a celebration of the characters of the city and we went out and every every single person in it was street cast we, we walked around the streets of Glasgow stopping interesting looking quirky looking characters asking them if they'd be keen to get involved uh, David Bonney shot them beautifully I interviewed them for five or ten minutes and then tried to find a you know a nice little sort of 20 or 30 word insight in there that sort of summed up the character and it went on and it became a it was an exhibition in a disused swimming pool Govan Bass in Glasgow it was so successful there and it, it ran for it only ran for maybe a week so we took it on street we had 25 consecutive poster sites and it became a really sort of good quality uh, piece of point to sale as well it was magazines that went in all the bars in Glasgow and it was just a really fun 
job to do, you know, to to meet these people. And and when the poster sites were were in sort of Glasgow city centre, I would sort of sit across the road on a bench for uh, you know half an hour having a cup of coffee and watch people going up and engaging with. It. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's so much it's wallpaper these days, and there was just something about that that sort of, I guess, people. And yeah. again, it's it's from that insight of actually Glasgow folk won't won't accept this as a line because essentially it's been it's a bit brand out. Whereas you need that kind kind of consumer in kind of piece, which is stace movement that kind of change. Yeah, it makes it applicable for Glasgow. So yeah. it's smart that. And they expanded it in year two for uh, to include Edinburgh as well, obviously. But I don't think we've quite got the same swagger yeah. in Edinburgh. No. <laughs> stace moving your red trousers. Yeah. <laughs> Hard to disagree with that. And and I think there's something you touched on there, Paul, about, you know, watching the people looking at your posters. I mean, to me, that would be just as re reward rewarding as winning a uh, an agency award. Yeah, it's more you know? so, Barry. It's more so. Yeah. I mentioned it earlier, the, the taxi driver test. It's always been the, the biggest kick for me. If, you know, if you're a taxi and the boy says, what do you do? And you say, I work in advertising. And he says, oh, have you done anything? They always ask you anything I might have seen. Yeah. And if you can drop a few in there, you done that? No way. And I'm like, yeah, it's it's much more gratifying than a, a jury of your peers deciding that it's good, I think. Couldn't agree more. Let's jump on our proverbial hoverboards and look ahead. Um, where do you see the biggest or the best opportunities on the horizon? You know, what's driving growth or excitement and importantly, contentment for yourselves and within your teams at the moment? I think there's a, quite a lot of exciting stuff going on at the Minach. I think we're finding a lot of new advertisers. Certainly go forth, we're, we're working with, I think, three software as a service businesses at the minute that just just wouldn't have been advertising a few years ago. We've worked with one e-commerce brand already, direct-to-consumer. We're helping to launch a, a new food and drink group that's going to have an e-commerce slant to it as well. So, yeah, the, the sort of more established brands are going to continue to spend, but I think there's a lot of new entrants that are sort of reaching consumers, providing new solutions, new products, new services for them. I think that's super exciting. I think if you couple that with... Uh, some of the sort of media developments that are going on. So the, the targeted nature of TV advertising now means brands that would never have been on TV 20 years ago can now be on uh, TV. Absolutely. You know, quite, yeah. It's quite accessible for them. Yeah. I think the trick there is going to be keeping up the production values because I would rather someone never went on TV than went on TV with something quite poor, but... Yeah, again, we're, we're figuring it out. I think that's really exciting things. And I think there's a bit of resurgence in probably my favourite format, out-home out advertising mm -hmm. as well. I'm seeing, seeing people sort of really seem to be up in their game with that at the you, minute. I think that's exciting. You touched on it there with, with TV, but the, the addressability now of TV and out of home from a kind of data and a, a digital and a programmatic perspective is that ultimately it's not it's not even just the future it's the well, present I, we're in it you know? yeah well out of home now you know with the with the digital sites before you would uh, you know you can speak to somebody on their way to work now and sell them a bacon roll and that would wouldn't have been wise to be on a static site for yeah you know the the full day to do that so yeah digital sheet is you have great fun with that. You know, because the turnaround time can be so quick, and uh, yeah, I think that's out. Opportunities abound, I think. And, and Ian, again, whether it's opportunities or, or contentment, you know, what, what, what's the buzz at the moment? You know, I was going to say back in the office, but <laughs> in the back in the hybrid space, back in the WhatsApp group. Uh, yeah. um, no, I mean, there's a lot of uh, opportunities. I agree with Paul. I think uh, scale ups, uh, as we kind of call them, are really interesting. Um, you know, from the simple fact is they might raise a lot of money at seed and a certain proportion of that money has to go marketing. So it's a smart place to look for new business if that's if that's what you need. So, um, yeah, we're seeing that. I think we're seeing a lot of interesting stuff with, I think, more people uh, now because of the landscape are actually going to outsource a lot of stuff. They don't want to actually in-house as much as they previously did a year ago, which is quite interesting, actually, because that was the whole everything's getting in-house. Mm -hmm. I actually think this year the opposite will happen. Are you th uh, thinking entertainment division? or No, that, for that the creative. Mar for for yeah. creative, yeah. I think more and more people are going, well, actually there's a volatility to everything at the minute. Why would we Why would we have a, essentially an agency in-house? Yeah. And you've said there's a, a, a few big companies that have just got rid of their in-house 
uh, functions, um, which I think is a really interesting trend we'll see this year. And then in terms of yeah, the, in terms of the what's getting us excited coming up with ideas for game show and that's like this is the interesting thing which do something is obviously we've got creative and entertainment side but they do come together and do stuff so we're working with a lot of stuff where what i call is like the bit in the middle or blends so we're doing a lot of stuff for guardian labs which is like uh, for good daddy and, and uh, a few other brands and that's almost like it's an ad but it's a documentary and i'm really excited about that kind of stuff is yeah. changing what advertising actually is um, and you know we're on a podcast just now you know loads loads of brands doing podcasts which I think are, are brilliant I think we have to change how how people it's it's a lot more uh, I call it kind of sneaking the uh, vegetables in with the sweeties and mm. I, what I mean by that is essentially it's almost with the like, words of a dad aye, yeah exactly uh, but it's almost like you it's an ad, but people don't realise it's an yeah. ad. And I think that's where we're getting to with, with our industry. And I think people, especially in Scotland, haven't quite cottoned on to that yet. And, I, and my ambition is for Studio Something just to be one thing. Don't need to say it's got a creative or an entertainment arm. It's like, well, we just, that's what we do because that's how people behave. And I, I don't know if people are quite there yet to understand did, that, did but that's what's going to happen. Did well, you, you don't need the, to be pigeonholed, do you? Did you see the the apple work that broke this week the back to the office stuff no i've not seen that actually, it's eight, eight minutes long and uh and it's entirely watchable you know i watched it for for start start to finish and it's it, it's branded content yeah you know uh, so m maybe i don't know maybe longer formats are going to come back into play people have been sort of talking about that for a few years now and nobody's really sort of cracked it but there's a few bits around at the minute so many things on some of the big kind of SVOD channels like Netflix and Amazon, they're funded by brands. Absolutely. Like, and it's like, and, and it's, that's what's happening. You know, James Bond films, they're just massive adverts. Yeah. Like I, that is, yeah. that is what they are. You I, know? I remember having quite a, a, a long and um, um, heated debate with a member of the marketing site actually at a bar after, you know, X awards do. Can't remember exactly which one it was in Glasgow a couple of years ago. And I was talking about, you know, the, the long form content and its place within the market. And this person in particular, you know, they were saying, well, oh no, it's all about short form. Nobody's got any attention span these days. And why, why would we talk down to our audiences? You know, why would we dumb down everything? It's not yeah. about short or long. It's about where does it fit, you know, both ways. You totally, know? totally. There's a, the, this was somebody coined, I'm sort of paraphrasing somebody here, and it was some old sort of industry, you know, maybe it was David Ogilvy, you know, or a Bill Bernbach or somebody with them, but he was, he was talking about print advertising, I think, and he said, people don't read adverts anymore, they, they read what interests them, and sometimes that's an advert, and I think we can take that thinking into, you know, film content and, and or audio content as well make it interesting make it engaging 100 a, a, a great Bernbach quote is um in a hundred years time and no matter what the technological advances are the idea will still be king and yeah. that is it it doesn't yeah. matter what it is if it's a good idea whether it's a podcast whether it's a long-form thing whether it's a a tiktok you know as long as it's kind of good and the idea is good and people connect with it yeah that's what and again that's what that's essentially what paul and i are selling is ideas that is what we sell and creativity is is that to some degree i think we what i've seen in the last few years is we have as an industry lost that a little bit and you know i think sometimes execution uh covers up a bad idea and it mm. looks nice but there's nothing in it there's no soul um I don't yeah know. there's no soul that's a that's a really uh uh important part i think for me is is that depth you know that depth of of what does something actually mean what does it stand for ian i'm really looking forward to seeing you as a game show host as well um, <laughs> i was just thinking everyone's got a game show idea so exactly when this goes out you're going to be inundated with emails well look, i've got a feeling the three of us could talk for hours um, which would be great but like all good things sadly i will need to bring our conversation towards a close uh, but before we do so as is becoming customary on the Leading Conversations podcast, uh, I'm going to invite you both to imagine a dinner. It's the three of us, and we're going to go out for a Thai meal. Uh, we can all bring two guests. Um, however, your invitees must be someone that have either helped or inspired you in your careers to date. So if it could be someone that you looked up to in the early days, a couple of people have already been mentioned, someone who gave you a chance. Um, it could be someone you know or maybe someone you don't even know. So who's joining us for a Massaman curry and a singer or two? Well, I like a mass one, correct? I know, so do I. I was just I thinking had a that I, had a I think uh, 
I think I, I mentioned Simon Scott earlier. I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd bring Simon Scott for sure because he had a great... Uh, great effect on my career but it was a great raconteur as well he was he, a, he, a brilliant guy you yeah. know so so when Jordan and I were, were doing music videos he, at that time he was in antiques right and we used to go to Simon to get our props shop, yeah. we used to go to him to get to props and he was like well you know I and, and I didn't know who he was and he was uh, explaining that he used to do advertising and what just a great kind of yeah, I, I would love to. to Ca- ca- character, right? Yeah. He, he would definitely need to to come for me. I think. Uh, okay, so Simon's coming, Ian. Who's? Do you have a doctor, your Marty? You know who? Who's the? Who's that person who really kind of inspired your your early days? I don't know. I, I, I think it's um, so a very cliche, but I would probably bring my dad. Like he kind of taught me that it was all right to be myself. Like, um, I come from quite a large family. I've got two brothers and a sister and we're all, all do massively different things. Uh, what my oldest brother's a neurological scientist. My other brother runs a recruitment company and my sister's a, a nurse. And it's like, you look at that kind of variation that was kind of like, do what you want to do and we'll support you. Um, through various ways. And, I, I, and I just think I wouldn't, have been allowed to be creative if it was wasn't for my dad and for my mum. So I think he's a good laugh. He's he's quite grumpy, and he'll just he'll just he'll just moan about. Uh, he gonna, what's, what's your dad's name? Uh, Gordon. Gordon. Is, okay. is, he, is he gonna divide the bill perfectly? No, that, um, he'd just let me pay for it. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, I'm bringing somebody too. I'm I'm bringing a a, a friend of mine, um, someone who's um, great fun, but ultimately did give me a chance, and and he's a chap called Julian Lloyd Evans. And Julian took a chance on me when I was changing career, going back to that sort of no wrong path type conversation. He's also a lot of fun. And every time I meet him, you know, we've remained friends over the years. And every time I meet him, there's always a word of wisdom. And he doesn't mean to, you know, he's not mentoring me. He doesn't mean to kind of come up with a specific line for me to remember. He's just always got something wise to say and great fun on a night out too. So I think we'll leave it at the six of us. Um, that's Gordon, Simon, Julian and the three of us uh, for a massive man curry. For, look forward to it. Yeah, let's make it happen. Gents, it's been so entertaining having you both on. Thank you for being great fun. So open on the podcast and sharing your experiences. I hope our listeners have enjoyed our candid conversation and that there's a nugget or two from the experiences that we've all shared that our listeners uh, may recall and refer back to in the future. This podcast you, has Barry. been brought to you by Adidas Samba. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining me, Barry Fern, on the Leading Conversations podcast. I've been speaking to Ian Greenhill from Studio Something and Paul Mason from Go Forth. If you've enjoyed this Leading Conversations podcast, head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, or search Leading Conversations wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts.